couple fantastic guest speakers who just wrapped up a fantastic series on Joshua in the Promised Land. If you missed it, go check it out online. And every week during that series, look, it's hard enough to stand up here and preach for someone who, you know, has a full-time job and has, you know, all kinds of commitments. But you know what I think makes it the hardest for someone else to stand up here? Knowing that I'm sitting right there and I'm just waiting for an opportunity. Oh, you okay? I can finish this one. Okay, I can talk about this. I can be ready to jump in because this is where, as much as we love giving a chance to other people to speak, this is what I love to do up here is stand up here with my microphone. You sitting right there and do what I do. So I'm happy to be back. And I'm excited because we got a great series that we're starting here today. It's called Handcrafted. And what we are going to talk about is how God made each one of us by hand, not assembly line, not Mr. Potato Head style, by hand. Each one of us was put together. And I want to give you kind of the key thought for the whole series right here, right up front. And then we'll spend the next three weeks unpacking it together. And that is this. To fully know God, I must first know myself. That's the premise upon which this series is based. In order for me to know God, that's why we came here to church today. That's why we pray. That's why we read our Bible, because we want to know God. In order for me to fully know God, to fully know God, I must first know myself. And if I don't know myself, I can't fully know God. And as we'll see by week three is I can't really know others as well unless I know myself. That's the premise of this series. Taking a step back, have you ever noticed that our God loves variety? Our God doesn't like cookie cutter. Our God doesn't like everything to look the same. Like, for example, we know that our God created everything in this universe. One of the things he created is trees. All right, I'm sure we got some tree lovers here, maybe some tree huggers here, okay? Well, did you know that whether you love them or hug them, there are more than 60,000 species of trees on this planet? Not 60, 60,000 included of which are cedar, birch, firm, elm, chestnut, maple, dogwood, and my two favorites, sassafras, sounds like it's got some spunk to it, and is actually a true name of a tree species, I think it's down in Australia somewhere, the Mexican jumping bean. That's the name of a tree species, one of 60,000. That's just trees. You know how many species of animals they have identified on this planet? Anyone guess? 8.7 million species of animals on this planet. 8.7 million species of animals on this planet. And there's some of them that are big, like the elephant, the giraffe, you know, the gorilla, the whale. Then there's some that are small, like the ant, or like a turtle, or a frog, or the smallest animals called the pygmy marmoset, which is, is more locally or more known as, commonly known as the dwarf monkey, which at birth weighs less than half an ounce when it's born, the dwarf monkey. 8.7 million species of animals. And let me tell you about one subset of those animals is the beetle. Not the music people, the beetle. Anyone want to guess how many different types, species of beetles, beetles are on this planet? You think that most people could survive one, two, three, four, five, six, seven thousand, eight thousand, hundred thousand species of beetles would be enough? Not for God. 300,000 species of beetles they've identified on this planet including three favorite that I came up with. No idea, I just know the names. One is called Ladybird Beetle, all right, which is apparently is named after uh, President Johnson's wife, first lady back in the day, LBJ, okay? There's a Stag Beetle, which apparently a Stag Beetle goes everywhere by itself, okay? It's always single. And then there is the Longhorn Beetle, which made me think of, anyone here? There we go, well, at least one person from Texas here, hook them horns, the Longhorn Beetle, Texas's favorite. Here's my question. Why is there so much variety of stuff? Like, who cares? 
Like, who cares? Do we really need 300,000 Beatles? Do we really need that? Like, we couldn't survive with just like 50, 60? Do we really need 60,000 types of trees? Like, God couldn't survive with just one, two, three, or four of them? Like, why is it that it's so important for God, variety and differentiation? It teaches us something about God, which is kind of the premise of where we're going here in this series, which is our God is a creative God. Our God likes to design unique things. Did you know that if you take one cubic foot of snow, one cubic foot of snow, in that one cubic foot, one foot, one foot, one foot, there will be 18 million snowflakes in one cubic foot of snow. And did you know, if you put every one of those cubic, of those snowflakes, those 18 million under a microscope, you will not find two that are identical to one another. Your response to that should be like mine. Who cares? Who cares? Like, who would even notice? Like, who's got the time to examine that many snowflakes to even discover if that's true or not true? Who cares? The answer is, God cares. Who cares about how many types of trees? God cares. Who cares about how many types of beetles or bugs or whatever? God cares. And that teaches us something about our God, is that our God, like I said, loves variety. Our God loves unique things. Our God is not Mr. Potato Head. Just put everything on an assembly line. Our God is not cookie cutter. Our God likes to design things that are unique, whether that's trees, whether that's animals, whether that's snowflakes, or more importantly and relevantly for us, people. Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14 says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I say the expression, knit me. You knit me. What does knit mean? Knit means, right? Isn't that what knit means, right? Not like the, even the, not like that kind of knit. Like the, right? I don't know how it works. Just help me out. Here's what they did in the TV shows. Y'all look at me like I'm crazy. Am I right? Isn't that how you knit? Crochet, quilt? That's sewing? What's knitting? <laughs> knitting, okay. Whatever. It's the same analogy, okay? <laughs> knitting. Okay, this is apparently knitting, okay? Or just Naveen's disgust at me, okay? Whatever that is, okay? You knit me together in my mother's womb means put me together by hand. Every single little keystroke or, 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 or knit stroke or needle stroke or whatever it may be. Do you know that the average human being, anyone want to guess how many atoms are in the average human being? Seven octillion. That's a real number. Seven octillion atoms in a human being. That's a seven with 27 zeros after. And every one of those seven octillion atoms times how many of us times how many people, every one of those was knit by God. Knit by the same hands that hung the star in the sky and put that mountain just right and a little river right up, not a, not a little more, little, perfect. Knit together by the hand of God and done in very close quarters. It said it was knit together in my womb. And when you were knit together in your womb, you were about the size of this big. How here it says less than one eighth of an inch at conception. That's how big you were when God started doing his knitting inside you and putting stuff in there. Job chapter 10, verse eight. Your hands have made me and fashioned me in intricate unity. The word intricate unity, the expression there implies that we are the sum total of many, many, many different parts all put together in a beautiful, complex, 
but beautifully functioning whole, which is you and is me. And that's my body. We talked about this a couple series ago. That's my body. That's my soul. That's my mind. That's my emotions. That's my personality. That's my temperament. That's my likes, my dislikes, my tastes. All that is put together and combined in such a way that makes me a unique creation of God, knit by the hand of God in intricate unity, all put together. We are a complex, intricate unity of many factors. And our goal in this series is to simply take one of those factors and have some fun with it. We're going to talk about, like I said, there's many factors that go into us. We're talking about our personalities. And we're going to use a tool called Myers-Briggs. Raise your hand if you've ever taken a Myers-Briggs test. Okay, fantastic. Raise your hand if you know your Myers-Briggs letters. Okay, so not as many. But for those who don't, that's okay. All right. This is when you take a screenshot of, of up here on the screen. Okay, take a picture of it or memorize it or, or whatever it may be. Just don't do it now. But if you go to this link, okay, it's up here on the screen. It's also in your handout as well, also on the STSA app under the notes section in, in today's handout. This link will take you to a free Myers-Briggs test. If you've never taken the test before, it'll take you about 5, 10 minutes, and it's a lot of fun. And there's all kinds of fun stuff out there that, that you can read about it. But the important thing is that by next Sunday, you come back and you know your Myers-Briggs personality type. It'll give you a, a four letters, okay, combination of four letters, okay? And it'll help you figure out how do you relate to the outside world, introversion or extroversion, okay? There'll be a, a, a spectrum there. How you like to take in information, all right? Are you more sensory or more intuitive? Are you think more with your brain first, heart second, or heart first, brain second, okay? It'll give us a spectrum on all these. We're going to talk about it next couple of weeks, but the important thing is that you come back next week knowing what your letters are. So what we're going to do is try to dig into understanding more about who we are and through that, how we can learn more about God. Because like I said earlier, to know God, I must first know myself. Confessions of Augustine, okay, one of the great uh, orators and writers of church history. He said, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? And we're going to use our personalities. We're going to dig into it. We're going to have some fun with it. All right, starting next, we're going to have some fun. We'll have fun today, but not as much fun as we're going to have next week. We're going to have some fun with it. And we are going to try to learn more about ourselves and how we view the world and how we operate in the world to be able to understand more about God through that process. That's our goal. But that's not the goal for today. For the goal of today is simply two things. I got two goals today to kind of set the stage for next week. First thing we're going to do is we're try to understand how God made me understand how God made me, and then we're going to see what we do with that understanding. If you had to come up with a way to describe, like one word, God made me in one word, I would say the word would be unique. We're going to look at a story from Matthew chapter 25, a story that you probably heard before, probably read before, maybe we'll look at it in a slightly different light. It's the parable of the talents. Jesus gave a parable, and he said, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To each according to his own ability. That's kind of the key phrase. To each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. Likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. So the first two in the story, I gave you five. You came back to me with five. Good job. Two came back with two. Third guy, story doesn't go as, as well for him. The third guy, but he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, 
the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Settle accounts with them. We'll kind of fast forward the story right here. To the first guy, I gave you five, you made me back five, high five. I gave you two, you gave me two, another high five. I gave you one, you gave me nothing, and he just, let's just say he got himself in trouble. And let's just say the expression gnashing of teeth is where it was, this was used in this story right here. We won't get into all those details, but let's just say the master was not so happy with this servant. You wicked, it was fast forward to verse 26. You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seeds. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Question for you. Everyone who has, more will be given. He who does not have, take it away, even what little he has. Is that fair or not fair? Is that fair or not fair? If I was running for election, and I said, I'm not talking about no one in particular, okay? I'm saying if I'm running for election and my platform is, anyone who has, I want to take from the guy who doesn't and give it to the one who has. Fair or not fair? I'm not making any political statements, okay? Sometimes I come up here and say things that are from the top of my head, and it turns out that other people say the exact same things and get themselves in trouble. This seems like the opposite of what you would expect. Like, this seems like, where's the social justice? The social justice should be, take from the, the, the 10 guy, who's probably snobby, <laughs> take from the 10 and give it to the one. Like the poor guy only got one. This guy had five, made another five. He's got 10. And you take from the one and take it away from him. Doesn't seem like it is fair. Why doesn't God help the little guy? Does God have a double standard? It seems like God got a double standard here, right? What I would say to you, God does not have a double standard. How many people on this planet? Eight billion? God has a one in eight billion. as an eight billion standard. And God judges every single person in a different way. So here's kind of our first lesson for today. I am gifted uniquely, there's our word, uniquely, and I will be judged uniquely. I am gifted uniquely. I am not gifted like anybody else. There are three people in the story. Each of them were gifted uniquely. And each of them were judged uniquely. Said another way. God is not a slave master. He's not a dictator. He's not your boss or the CEO of a company that just stands there and says, I expect a certain quota to come from every single person. That's not how God is. What God is, is God is a father. And you know what a father does with his children? He treats them individually, uniquely. So if I'm a father and I have a 16-year-old son, a 10-year-old son, and a four-year-old son, and I leave the house for the day. I do not gift them, nor do I judge them the same way. To the 16-year-old, I may say, you mow the lawn. Here's a lawnmower. To the 10-year-old, I may say, you do the dishes. Here's a scrubber thing. To the four-year-old, I may say, you clean your room. There's your room. I would gift them differently. I would give them different tools, and I would judge them based on what they did with the tools, because that would be fair. What would be unfair would be, let's go two examples of unfair. 
would be I would give them all the same thing. I would give them all a scrubber and then get mad at this guy for not mowing the lawn. That would be unfair. If they gave them all the same thing, the scrubber, and, I'm, and I said, why did you mow the lawn? That would be unfair. Or if I expected a four-year-old to mow the lawn, that would be unfair, so not according to his ability. So if the master had given them all two talents and said to the five guy, you should have produced five, and to the one guy, you should have produced two, no, that would be unfair because you gave them all different things. Now the opposite. It would be also unfair to give them all different gifts and then expect the same thing from them. So if I gave one five, one two, and one one, and then I expect two from all of them. Well, the five guy, he's got it made. He's got it easy. That's not fair. The one guy not only has to make his one, he's got to make more than that. He's got to do considerably more effort than the other guy. That wouldn't be fair. So actually, what seems like unfair in God, judging each uniquely and gifting each uniquely, is actually the only fair way to do it. You see, we look at fair this way. We look at fair and we look at, no, no, not fair. No, no, not fair. That's not fair. Fair is this way. That ain't nothing to do with this and fair. Fair is God gifts me uniquely and God judges me uniquely based on what he's given. So let's make that practical. Some of us, some of you, some of us, he gave strong leadership skills. And he gave you to be strong in your personality. Your parents probably didn't like it when you were two because you were kind of bossing them and all the other kids around. But God gave you that personality because he wants to make a difference in the world through you. God won't want you to be a follower. God wants you to be a leader. And that's why he gave you that personality. So if that's the personality God gave you, that's the personality against which God is going to judge you. Some of us, God gave the gift of comfort and compassion and that you just make people feel good. When they're going through hard times, you make people feel good. So God is going to judge you based on that gift that he gave you. Some of you he gave the love to teach. Some of you with music. Some of you with kids. Some of you who gave the desire, the deepest desire of your heart is to make baked goods for your local priest. That's what God gave you, and God will judge you if you do not use that gift to the fullest of your abilities. I don't know what, what, what God gave you, but I know this, is that God's purpose for your life is eternal purpose. Before you were even born, before you came into existence, God had a plan for you. God had a purpose. And then he gave you the gifts to get there. And if you don't use those gifts, you don't recognize those gifts, you're going to mess up the plan. See, it's not the opposite. It's not like, okay, well, you ended up with a lawnmower, so I guess, okay, you mow the lawn. Or you ended up with the dish scrubber thing, so I guess you do the dishes. It's not that. Our God is not haphazard or random. Before we even existed, God said, I'm making this person for this purpose. So I'm going to give him this gift. And I'm going to ask him to do something great in the world. But God would never, for example, God would never say, your job is to mow the lawn. Here's a pair of scissors. So we can realize the gifts. I'm sorry, we can realize the plan God has for us by understanding the gifts he's put inside me. That's what we're going to do here in this series. We're going to learn more about our personality and our strengths and our weaknesses so we can hopefully unveil what it is that God's plan and God's purpose is for me. Because each of us is gifted uniquely. Each of us will be judged uniquely. And when I say judged, realize this. Judged is a very negative sounding word. But can judgment ever be a positive thing? Can judgment be positive? Absolutely. If I am, if you rob me, okay, and you steal from me, and then we go to the court, I can't wait for the judgment. Because the judgment vindicates me. 
So judge just means, like I'll give you another word for judge means the same thing, but in a positive light, rewards. Okay, so you can say that, that God rewards everyone. Okay, he judges means he rewards. It's the same thing. And what I'm talking about here is that God rewards us all differently. And that's why the title of today's message is your sweet spot, finding your sweet spot. What I want to talk about is not just God judges us, but I'm saying your sweet spot in life. God rewards you where you hit that spot where life clicks, where life makes sense, where I'm doing what I was meant to do, where I'm fulfilling the passions that's inside my heart, where I am, where I belong. Kind of like I said, with me up here on this stage, when I'm doing what I felt like God put me on this earth to do, that's what I want every person to find. And the only way you're going to find that is to look at the gifts that God has given you so you can find your sweet spot in life. Luke chapter 12, verse 48. Again, a verse that doesn't really seem very politically correct. It seems like against the whole social justice and fighting for the little guy. But it says, for everyone to whom much is given, for him much is required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Parents get this. Okay, if you don't have kids, you may struggle with this idea of the difference between fairness and equality. Okay? Fairness and equality. We don't treat our children equal. We treat them fair. Okay, and that's what this says right here, is that God gifts some people more in different ways. So you may say, I don't have that gift. But realize that God's expectation for that is different than the person with this gift. All right, you know the difference between fairness and equality? Maybe you've seen this before. Okay, fairness versus equality or equity, what they call it here. Equality is everyone gets the same thing. Regardless of the tall guy, the short guy, the medium guy. Everybody gets the same thing. Fairness or equity is everybody is gifted uniquely. But then everyone will be rewarded or judged uniquely as well. So step one is to understand how God made me. If I say to you, how did God make me? The word that should pop in your mind is God made me uniquely. He gifted me uniquely. And he will judge me uniquely. And he will reward me uniquely. Uniquely is how God made me. Now the second part which actually is a lot harder than the first part. Not just to understand, but to accept how God made me. And if there's one word that you need to stick with when it comes to accepting how God made you, I'm gonna use a very, very particular word right here, and I mean this word. I am. I am a masterpiece. You gotta give me a break. It's been a few weeks since I've been up here on the stage. I'm trying to, like I'm getting it all out here today. I am, insert your own face there, a masterpiece. If I say the word masterpiece to you, what do you think of? What defines a masterpiece? I could bring 10 pieces of, 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 of paintings, 10 paintings up here. What defines a masterpiece versus not a masterpiece? It's beautiful. Well, that's opinion. Okay, some people think, you know, this is beautiful. Some people think that is beautiful. It is, you know, breathtaking or the colors or the light. I'm not an aesthetics guy, so forgive me. But all of them, those are all subjective. I would say that masterpiece goes back to the idea of uniqueness. Like Mona Lisa can't be a masterpiece if there's one on every corner in Brooklyn. You can't have Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel if every, if every church had the exact same Sistine Chapel, then it wouldn't be a masterpiece. A masterpiece means one of a kind. Never seen before. Nothing like it before. Nothing be like it after. Everything else that comes after it is an imitation at best. But this is a masterpiece because it was made in a unique way by a unique creator. That's me and you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Here's the word masterpiece in a slightly different way. For we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. 
Workmanship, another word for that is handiwork. We are his workmanship. We are his handiwork. We are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his masterpiece. We are his workmanship. Let me ask you a question. If you go to a carpenter, you go to a carpenter shop, okay, and he's got all kinds of stuff, you know, the chairs over there, the, the, the stools over there, the tables over there, and you say, hey, Mr. Carpenter Man, show me your workmanship. Show me your workmanship. What's he going to show you? Is he going to show you like a little uh, a spoon that there's like the little knickknack spoon that you pay for 50 cents as you check out the register? This is my workmanship. What's he going to show you? He's going to show you his best. He's going to say, you want to see my workmanship? Forget about this junk on the sales floor. Come back here. Let me show you what I'm working on now because I'm working on something good. And it's not ready for the public yet. But when it is, watch out. This is my workmanship. This is the stuff. Hey, God, what's your workmanship? Mount Everest? No, 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 no. You know, the Grand Canyon? I can do that by... Stars? Moon? Sky? Planets? What's your workmanship? So you want to see what I'm really working on? Come here. And he shows you a mirror. You're my workmanship. And not just you on the outside, but let's look at the inside. Let's see that personality that I gave you. Let's see those, those talents that I gave you. Those desires that only I can fulfill. Those desires you're like, God, get this desire away from me. I hate this part of me. I put that there. And actually, the masterpiece wouldn't be complete without it. For those who are here during Holy Week, Okay, I talked about this idea. Can you accept that even your flaws are part of God's ma masterpiece? Can you accept that even your flaws are God, part of God? Can you accept that even your flaws are part of God's masterpiece? For those who are here during Holy Week, I talked about this idea. And I was saying about how we need to believe in God. True. But you know what else we need to experience the joy of God, the resurrection of Christ? We need to believe in ourselves. I know that sounds like the opposite of Christianity. Like, no, don't believe in yourself. Believe that you're miserable and I'm the worst. And that, you know what? You know who does not believe you're the worst? God. And we need, not in a proud, arrogant way, but I need my belief in myself to match up with God's belief in me. And if you ask God, tell me about this person and this person. Tell me about the person I see in the mirror, God. He would say, that's a masterpiece. And I believe in that person. And yeah, that person has flaws. And we need to work on those flaws. But I programmed that person, and I designed that person. And that's the person that I think is going to change the world, that I believe in that person, that that person is the one. Who is the one who God is, is counting on to carry the gospel to the streets of Arlington, if not us? Who is the one who's going to fill this dark world with light, if not us? Who is the one who's going to change the world and bring love and joy and kindness? Who is the one who's not, not just going to complain about the workplace, but change the workplace? Here we are in D.C., man, it is easy to complain about what's going on in Washington, D.C., and that is a coward thing to do. And I say that no matter which side of the political spectrum you're on, if all you do is complain, that's a coward move. God didn't put us here to complain. God has put us here to do something. And the way we do something is by accepting who God made me to be. And if God made me to be a leader, man, I'd be a leader to the best of my ability. And if God made me to be a behind-the-scenes guy, man, I'd be a behind-the-scenes guy to the best of my ability. And if God made me to be a comforting guy, then I comfort, and a teaching guy, and an administration guy, and a whatever guy. 
And that's what we're going to see in this whole, this whole personality thing, is that God made us all unique because God has a different plan for every single one of us. You'll never know his plan for you until you know who you are and see what he put inside you. I get afraid sometimes that we look in the mirror and we only see our faults. Not smart enough, not pretty enough, not patient enough, not skinny enough, not beautiful enough, not strong enough. And all we see is our faults. And God says, man, I put everything I got in you. You're my hope for this world. And I believe in you. You are the hope for the next generation. You, the one that you look in the mirror and say, no good, that's my hope for the next generation. You're my hope for this dark world. You're my hope to make a difference. Can you accept that your flaws, even your flaws, are part of God's masterpiece? Now, again, I'm not saying that your flaws are from God. I'm not saying God wants us flawed. I'm not saying it that way. But what I'm saying is like, there's a story in John chapter nine of a man who was born blind. And that man was kind of annoyed that he was born blind and rightly so. And people looked at him and said, look at all these flaws in this guy. And I bet you if that guy would, would, would speak up, he would say, I hate my life and my life is miserable. And they asked Jesus about this guy. And insert your own flaw right here. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Not an accident, not a punishment, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. What if God's saying that about you? God, why'd you make me this way? What did I do to deserve this? What did I do to deserve him, her, it? What did I do? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, that the works of God should be revealed in him. Said another way, you're not an accident. No part of you is an accident. You may make accidents, but no part of God's design for you is an accident. Like, it's not like sometimes we think that God designed us and he's like, oh, what do I do? Okay, just, you know, just push it through. Or like God ran out of like, un, you know how when you undo so many times, like you can only undo a certain point. It's like God ran out of the undos, like, oh, I already use my 25 undos and I'm done. So we're stuck with it. No. Same hand that hung the stars created your personality. Same hand that healed the blind man put inside you your desires. Same hand that, not even hand, the same breath that parted the Red Sea. It's the same breath that puts life and spunk and fervor inside every single one of us. We all have things about our life that we hate. We blame ourselves, we blame our parents, we blame our friends, and if we're honest, sometimes we blame God. Can you today accept that God knew what he was doing when he created you? That God knew what he was doing when he created you? And I have news for you. If you cannot accept that, if you criticize the creation, you actually don't criticize yourself, you criticize your maker. Because if I sit out there, I told y'all to have a Hyundai Sonata, and if I say, this stupid Hyundai Sonata, and I hate the Hyundai Sonata, and it's a piece of junk, I'm not criticizing the wheels and the metal. Who am I criticizing? The idiot who put it together. And when you sit there and you only see faults in yourself and you criticize yourself, you are not criticizing yourself, you're criticizing the one who put you together. And we're not gonna do that. Can you accept that even your flaws are part of God's masterpiece? <clears throat> masterpiece, this is an important part, doesn't mean perfect. In fact, I would argue that if there's a painting or a sculpture or whatever that is absolutely positively perfect, I bet you it probably wasn't handcrafted. It was probably done by a robot. 
In fact, the imperfections are a sign, a validation of the handcraftedness of the masterpiece. It's what shows that it wasn't done assembly line because they're not all the same. There are some imperfections. But the key is to realize that me and you, our imperfections, don't make us, don't ruin our, our nature as masterpiece. Think of the Mona Lisa. Here's a Mona Lisa and she's a masterpiece. What if the Mona Lisa gets dust on it? Up, oh, throw it away. Got some dust on it. Trash. Would you throw away the Mona Lisa because it has some dust on it? Let's say uh, a kid walks up, you know, and picks his nose and wipes a booger on the Mona Lisa, like wants to put it right there under her nose, okay? Don't think, don't admit that, don't say that you never thought of that, okay? You put it right there. Say, oh, Mona Lisa got a booger hanging out her left nose. Throw it away. The identity and the appearance are not the same. Her identity is still a masterpiece, even though her appearance is booger-faced. And same thing with you. Your identity as a masterpiece is not changed by your appearance of flaws or imperfections. Your identity is who God made you. Your appearance, yes, may be dirty today, may be dusty today, maybe have fallen into a ditch, but your identity doesn't change just because of some dirt on the outside or some flaws. There's a difference between an ugly painting and a painting that looks ugly because it has some dirt on it. Would you agree? You are not an ugly painting. You are a beautiful painting. And yes, you may have gotten some dirt on you, but that doesn't change your nature as a beautiful painting. We need to clean up the dirt. Okay, so I'm not saying we just accept whatever. We need to clean up the dirt, but the dirt is not your nature. It is foreign to you. And if we clean it up, we can find the masterpiece underneath there. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Here's a good memory verse for you if you struggle with this kind of stuff and you struggle to see yourselves as a masterpiece. Memorize 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Let's read it all together if you don't mind. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. One more time. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And we're gonna talk about, like I said, starting next week, we're gonna see some differences. Some of us are more outgoing than others. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I wish I was more outgoing like so-and-so. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. I had a purpose. I wish I was more outgoing. But you know what? Maybe, because I'm not as outgoing, maybe I have the ability to connect at a deeper level where other people lack it. By the grace of God, I am what I am. We're going to talk about how some people are better at planning than others. And I wish I was better at planning. I wish I could be more organized. And I may not be that way. But you know what? I'm very flexible, and you know when those ultra-organized, those anal people all get together, they need one of me in the room, okay? Because what I do is I'm the buffer between the people because they would kill each other if, if it wasn't for me in the room. So I, there you go. There I have my purpose. Some people, like I said, are great when the lights shine brightest. Some people are best when the doors are closed and they work behind the scenes. Easy, easy to look at what I don't have, but what we're going to look at is what I do have and say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. There was a purpose for the giftedness that God put inside me. I love this quote from a writer named George MacDonald. He said, I would rather be, listen carefully to this one. I would rather be what God chose to make me than the most glorious creature that I could think of. For to have been thought about, born in God's thought, and then made by God, is the dearest, grandest, 
and most precious thing in all thinking. How beautiful is that? I know what I would look like if I could design myself. How beautiful is that? That I may not be who I think I am, but God carefully, or sorry, whatever. You know what I mean? Knit me together. Piece by piece. Fabric by fabric. And just the fact that God thought to make me different than every single one of you, different than every single one of the eight people on this planet, different, here's one that hurts your brain, than every single one of the people who's ever lived on this planet or whoever will live on this planet. Like, come on. Like, who would notice if there was a guy who was just like me who lived like 500 years ago somewhere in Southeast Asia? Like, just like one guy, like, cut your numbers in half with all the design work that you have to do. Put a guy, like, repeat every 10,000 years, repeat one. God says, no. No? Like, no, like use the same thumbprint, like copy and paste, like uh, batch processing. God says, no, every single one of these people that comes on this earth, I'm gonna come up with a new design for every single one, a new thumbprint, a new footprint, a new number of hairs, a new personality, a new way of looking at life. Masterpiece. You know what makes a masterpiece a masterpiece? Is the one who did it. Anything by Michelangelo, makes it automatically in a different category than anything my kid did or your kid did because of who it is that did it. Who put you together is the great artist himself, the creator of the universe. Isaiah chapter 64, verse eight. Here's a great verse. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter and we all are the work of your hand. Did you know that in this world today, there's a war, there's a battle, there's a fight for your identity to tell you who you are. There's a bad guy, and that bad guy, the devil, wants to tell you things like, tell me if you heard these words before, you're flawed, you're worthless, you're a failure, you'll never amount to anything. That's one side, and that comes at you all the time, and it tells you how bad you are. And that, by the way, that voice, loves you to compare yourself to others. That voice loves to bring in your social media feed pictures of people who are good at what you stink at. So you stink at raising your kid, you're gonna see all kinds of pictures of people with their dumb little kids with their dumb little hair done right and all the funny little dresses just to make you realize how worthless you are as a mom or as a dad. That's one voice. And then there's the other voice on the other side. This is your masterpiece because I made you. And you may not be able to do a French braid like that mom. You may not be as successful as that dumb doctor, but nobody likes him. You may not have a certain personality that you wish you had wanted, but you're who I made you to be. And I hope that's good enough for you. I'm a father, I got two kids. They're very different. My relationship with each of them is unique. Not because I am different, but because they are different. If Michael and Lizzie didn't realize their unique differences, they would be tempted to think I'm an unfair dad. Why'd you give me braces and not her? Why you give her ice cream and not me? Because you're lactose intolerant and you vomit if you eat ice cream. Her teeth are straight and your teeth are angling at each other. The difference in my treatment with them is not based on differences in me. 
It's based on differences in them. It's not based on me being different. It's based on them being unique. And if they don't understand their uniqueness, they'll be tempted to think that I'm an unfair father. And we, when it comes to our God, our God does not treat us all the same because we are not the same. Not because he is not the same, but because we are not the same. Some he gives five talents, some he gives two talents, some he gives one talents. But I know this for a fact, that he gave you exactly what you need to do exactly what he wants you to do. And exactly what he wants you to do is exactly that sweet spot in life that you want to get at. And it's my prayer and my hope that through this series, we'll take one step closer to get there. Let's stand together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, you are our creator, you are our maker. We thank you, Lord, for the uniqueness that you put inside each one of us. Help us to appreciate that uniqueness, Lord, and to hear your voice telling us who we are, not the voice of the enemy telling us who we are. I pray, Lord, that you would help us in this series to learn more about ourselves, that ultimately we can know you at a deeper and more full level. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and our Savior and our King Jesus Christ, with the prayers of all of your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.